Happy Super Bowl yeah. Sunday. We didn't really know why there was football graphics and stuff for this series, but it works today at least. So we're glad you're here. When we decided to do Sunday evening services here, you may wonder about that. For one, it's a lot easier to get a bunch of volunteers to show up at noon to set up church than 4 or 5 a.m., so that was an advantage. It works better with this venue. And I had this one worry that I didn't really voice, but it was today, Super Bowl Sunday, and then I found out I was going to be preaching on Super Bowl Sunday, and I was like, well, that poor 6 o'clock, because that video is going to play, and I'm not going to be here. I'll be back home on my couch watching the Super Bowl while you're at church. So that's why we're having a party, because I would ditch church for the Super Bowl. And let's just be honest about who we are, okay? Imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. That's me. Um, as far as the game goes, I am a huge sports fan. I don't have much analysis for you. I was thinking about just, like, putting some film up, talk through the game, but there's been this dark cloud over my life for 15, maybe a little more than 15 years. And it's Tom Brady, it's Bill Belichick. And you watch the same movie enough times, you just know that it ends tragically for you every single time, right? Last year, we got this alternate ending. It was amazing. And that's not going to happen two years in a row. So I'm numb to it. I'm mourning already, as you can see. Um, but hey, we're going to watch the game and celebrate because if there's anything we're good at, it's celebrating. And so I hope you'll stay. A couple of you may have uh, been told you were going to a Super Bowl party and then found out you were going to a church service first. So good for your friends. Well played. It's because they love you. Um, so if I haven't met you, my name's Ethan. And uh, don't be fooled by Doug's kind words. There's a phenomenon that happens in this church. If you get a microphone in your hand, you just make fun of me. You roast me. It's like this weird thing. I don't know why. I've had people come up to me after services, and they're like, hey, man, I don't know why those guys give you such a hard time. You seem like a nice guy. And I just want to clear the air that I'm not really that nice of a guy. I deserve it. I roast my friends all the time. I grew up in a family where sarcasm is our love language. And so I, it really doesn't hurt my feelings. Like, there's literally nothing that these two guys could say that would ever really impact me. So don't feel sorry for me. I don't feel sorry for myself. And I'll have plenty of chances to roast them. It's generally low-hanging fruit with Doug and Ryan. Um, but we, I want to get to this message, and I know in my long friendship with them that they're just never really worth my time. So I'm not even going to go into it um, for you. You're here for church, and that's what we're going to do before we get to this game. And I do think that God has an encouragement, a challenge for us that I've been walking through this week uh, preparing for this. But I feel kind of like uh, we've just gone in some dark directions, Doug, Ryan, Tom Brady. And um, we need, I want to focus in for a few minutes, I feel like a seventh period teacher in a high school class right now. Like the weekend is just after this class. It's Friday. I had this astronomy class in high school, seventh period, all seniors. We were all friends. And I swear to you, I know less about astronomy after taking the class than I did before I took the class because we did nothing. We never accomplished a thing. I honestly think that my teacher was drunk half of the time. And he, I'm serious, I'm, I'm serious. It was a really fun class, but I don't know anything about astronomy, and I don't want that to happen to you today. So I'm going to pray. Maybe we focus in for a few minutes before we get to the game, um, what God has for us. So Jesus, thank you for every person that's in this room. I thank you for a chance to celebrate and have fun together. Um, I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would challenge us. God, would you show us the dream that you have for our lives in your name, Amen. So, dream big, live better has been the tagline for our series based in Ephesians 3.20, like Doug said. 
Um, to him who is able to do more than we could possibly ask or imagine, talking about God, Paul, in the midst of this prayer that he's sending to the church, um, he's saying, you have this father, you have this creator who can do so much more than you ever dare to ask. He can do more than you imagine. That's, that's who you have. That's the fuel for your life is this God who can do more than you ask or imagine. And we're being challenged to dream big and live better. And I have been by great messages from these guys and thinking about dreams for my life. And I feel like I'm living one right now, getting to be a part of this church with you. Um, but I was also thinking back to my childhood dreams. And uh, I was thinking about, like, you're a kid, everyone says. What do you want to be when you grow up? You've got the whole world ahead of you. You know, you have these talents. What do you want to be? What's your dream for yourself? The whole world's waiting. And so I was talking to my mom, and we traced back to some of my first childhood dreams. And you're going to start to detect why everyone makes fun of me through me displaying uh, what my life has been like. So my first dream was birthed out of a book about dinosaurs. My parents would read this book before bed, and my brother and I became fascinated with dinosaurs. Any dinosaur fans out there? Pretty cool. Um, so one night, the story goes, my mom finished the, the book, and she, you know, is a good parent trying to grow my imagination. She's like, hey, Ethan, wouldn't it be so amazing if you could see the dinosaurs? Like, if you could walk around and see them. And my response to her, you're thinking you were going to be, wanted to be a paleontologist. No, my response to her was, no, I want to be a dinosaur. And thus was born my very first dream I ever had in my life. And the sad thing when you're a kid is a lot of your childhood dreams go to die, right? And that dream did, obviously, go to die. Um, not logically. I didn't figure out for a while, like, that's just not going to happen. I didn't have like a God spiritual moment where he's like, I've got more than you're asking or imagining. And also that's a really stupid dream and it's not going to benefit anyone. Everything's possible for me as God, but I'm not going to do that because that's not going to help anybody. So we're just not going to do that dream. That did not happen either. Um, it ended for me through a movie called Jurassic Park, which you all probably have seen. So that came out, I was four years old. Big dinosaur guy, as we now all together know, right? So this, watching this movie for me is like watching film. Like, that's my future. I need to see this movie. My parents were like, you guys are way too young. You're not seeing Jurassic Park. For a couple of years, we begged. I can picture the VHS tape, Jurassic Park. Like, that's, that's me. That's my future right there. One day, they'll let me see it. My parents obviously knew we had really big imaginations, right? Like, one of us is dreaming of becoming a dinosaur. So a big imagination. My mom told me, I don't know why I'm about to tell you this, it wasn't until I was like eight or nine years old that I realized that dinosaurs don't live on Earth anymore. That's like third grade, okay? So that's why these guys make fun of me. I've never really changed. But so anyway, we're like, Mom, we got to see Jurassic Park. Finally, my mom of all people, my dad's the bend the rules guy. My mom, not so much, but we convinced her to let us watch Jurassic Park. But she had one condition. You can watch Jurassic Park in fast forward. So I kid you not, I'm not making this up. VHS tape into the VCR. My mom rigs it so it plays at eight times the speed of a normal movie. That's our condition. We're like, we'll take it. We just want to see it. So we're sitting right in front of the TV and we're like, all right, here we go. Jurassic Park quickly. So we're on the helicopter, we're going out to the island, it's amazing, it's daytime, there's dinosaurs everywhere, it's incredible, this is so cool, and there's a lab where they're making the dinosaurs, and I'm like, 
they can make dinosaurs, they can make me a dinosaur. And then all of a sudden, really fast, it's nighttime, and a T-Rex gets loose, and he eats a guy who's on a toilet, which is like kind of funny, but starting to get kind of scary. These kids are screaming under a car, they're in a tree, and they're running for their lives. Next thing you know, Newman from Seinfeld's getting blasted by poison, while velociraptors are devouring human flesh. And it all happened... Literally so fast, my dream died at eight times the speed of a normal dream. There's no sound the whole time. Just watching Jurassic Park very quickly, and I realized I really don't want to be a dinosaur, not still logically, but because it involves carnage, eating human flesh, and dinosaurs were not who I once thought that they were based off seeing Jurassic Park. And so I bailed on that dream and graduated to another dream. And this, I mean, this is where things get powerful. Okay, so I got Ephesians 3.20 on this dream. So I went, kind of swung the pendulum the other way and told my parents, I'm going to move to Australia. I'm going to play what I refer to as the time volleyball. I'm going to be a volleyball player in Australia. And then added in an incredibly practical element that I would have a part-time job as a waiter at Pizza Hut. My parents are like, okay, very practical dream. This guy, hard to keep track of what's going on in this brain. So I have that dream. Fast forward to college, I get hired serving pizzas as a waiter at, you thought, Pizza Hut, California Pizza Kitchen, okay? So Pizza Hut, I like Pizza Hut, nothing against it, but California Pizza Kitchen is like a BMW of pizza places, right? Like it's a little higher class. Ephesians 3.20, more than I asked or imagined, right? I can see some tears. I can see power of this story. It's not over, couple years after I work at CPK, I find myself in Australia with Doug and Ryan, of all people, eating pizza, of all foods, at Pizza Hut in Australia. Can you believe that? Ephesians 3.20, more than I ever asked or imagined. I'm eating, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, it's going to be fun to have a job. And then you're an adult, you're like, this is not fun to have a job. I didn't have to serve that pizza. I got to eat that pizza in Australia, okay? So there's a lot more I could say. I kind of feel like that makes the point. I feel like Ephesians 3.20 just became very clear to this room. I see, look at you. You're just blown away. You're like, why am I dreaming so small? So band, why don't you guys come back up? God, thank you for California Pizza Kitchen. We pray for Australians. That would be like the YouTube worst sermon ever. The point... Let's hope that this does not keep progressing that way. The point is that childhood dreams can be ridiculous, and a lot of them, if not most of them, go to die, right? Because you're like, the world's ahead of me. Dream big. You're going to have a great life. And then everyone's like, just kidding. Rug pulled out from under you. How are you going to pay your electrical bill? Cute dream. Ever heard of a mortgage? And you're like, I thought the world was ahead of me. This was going to be a cool life. And then all of a sudden, you're kind of told you were supposed to dream and now maybe you're, you're not. And sometimes dreams die practically. You know, like Doug described to me in high school, I dreamed of playing for the Colorado Rockies. The problem being that when God knit me together in my mother's womb, he pre-programmed puberty for 17 instead of like 12 or 13 like a normal human being. So all of my teammates are my same age. They look like they could be my dad. The Rockies are not calling me to play baseball for them. I, th- I feel like the seven got scribbled and it was supposed to be a two or three And there went my baseball career. So sometimes, yeah, dreams die, right? Like just practical reality. But the bigger point I'm making here is what happens, and and to be more serious, things happen to us in our lives, and we do things. 
and life starts to happen and there's voices that start speaking to us. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's an employer, maybe it's a friend. Somebody starts speaking to you and you start questioning yourself. Life gets hard and you're like, yeah, I don't know, I don't see myself the way I once did. Maybe dreaming is irresponsible. Maybe my life's really not going to be what I ever thought it would. And the ceiling, a ceiling starts forming over your ability to dream and it gets lower and lower and lower. As you step into adulthood, you stop dreaming. Your ceiling is so low. This is displayed really well for me. Um, speaking of baseball, there's a movie Moneyball. If you've ever seen it, it's a great movie. It's about Billy Bean, who's the general manager for the Oakland Athletics. And what you don't know about Billy Bean, probably, you probably don't know anything about Billy Bean because you don't care about baseball like I do, but he had a, a major league career as a player before he was a general manager. And it was a failed career, which is funny to say about a guy who made it to the major leagues, right? But uh, he has these flashbacks through the movie of that dream dying and the ceiling getting lower to the point that he's now this successful executive, but he's blind to the dream he's living because of the pain of the dream that died. And he has this flashback to a scout. He's sitting at the table. It's going to be up on the screen. The scout says, you know, Billy, we're all told at some point that we can no longer play the children's game. We just don't know when that's going to be. Some of us are told at 18, and some of us are told at 40, but we're all told. And I feel like that really well sums up what happens to us when we become adults. The world, people, whatever, circumstance tells us, stop playing the children's game. No more dreaming. Now it's time to just live this normal life, and that ceiling is about right here. And the thing that happens is when we're adults is when we start to take our faith seriously, so we transfer this low ceiling into how we view God. So you hear good news. You hear Ephesians 3.20. You hear more than you could ask or imagine, and you're kind of like, I don't ask or imagine much at this point. My ceiling's pretty dang low. That sounds good and well, but there's not much room for that under this ceiling that's gotten so low in my life. And Jesus sees that in us, and he saw it in the people in his time, because he comes on the scene to a group of people that had very low dream ceilings. Ryan talked about last week, which was an awesome, awesome message about waking up to a reality that's better, that the dream at the time collectively for the people Jesus was around was a political dream that they would overthrow Rome, and their kingdom would be the one that conquers and rules and reigns, and it would be their time to occupy. That was the ceiling of their dream collectively. And then when you think about them personally within that society, like Jesus' disciples, some of those guys, like, I'm a fisherman. I don't dream. I survive. Like, what are you talking about? This is just how my life is. And we may not be fishermen, but we could probably relate a lot of the time to just thinking, like, dream. I'm just trying to scrape by. I'm just trying to get through this life in one piece. And I think in their faith dreams in that time, these people had been beat over the head with law, over the head by the Pharisees who, who beat themselves over the head with this idea that, hey, you want, you want to live a dream? You want some favor in your life? Well, then you better live better. You better get this figured out. You want some sort of favor from God? You want him to give you a dream life? Well, you better go earn it. Pretty hard to have a, a high dream ceiling when it's all on your shoulders and you know yourself and this weight weighs on you daily. Their dream ceiling was very, very low. And in comes this guy who, when he says, your kingdom come, introduces a dream that has no ceiling. Introduces a dream that, that they, they can almost not grasp or relate to. Jesus comes and says, your kingdom come. One definition of your kingdom come 
I think it'll be on the screen. A state of society upon earth where God's will is as perfectly done here as it is in heaven. That your life would start to look more and more like what heaven has for you. That's what kingdom come means for our world. And so Jesus comes in and he introduces this dream of us as a people, as his church, this kingdom dream saying you're citizens of a kingdom that is going to bring restoration, that is going to bring love, that is going to bring, like, bring hope. From this moment in Matthew 6 when he says, your kingdom come, we get a picture in Revelation 21. There will be no sin. There will be no death. There will be no pain. There will be no shame. Every tear will be wiped from your eye, and you will be in a perfect relationship with your creator who died and rose again to give you a citizenship in that kingdom. That's where this all goes. That's the kingdom that you're invited into to be a part of. And I think we hear that big dream and we're like, cool, go get them, Jesus. Go get them, church. That sounds great. Hopefully somehow I get my way in there someday. And I think Jesus looks at us as individuals. He's like, no, but what about you? What about you? What about you? What about you? And we, a lot of the time, are like, yeah, I like the big dream, man, but my ceiling, not a lot of room to enter into that. Like, I'm just, you know, getting through life. But that sounds cool. Good luck to everybody else. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you, you. Heaven is going to pour onto this earth in and through you, your life. That's the kingdom dream for you. And, and we have this idea of like me. And I think Jesus addresses this really well. And I see it in the structure of how he laid out the Sermon on the Mount. Because before, like kingdom come from there, like it's pointing to this big dream. But before he gets to chapter 6 and chapter 5 in the same Sermon on the Mount, if you've never read it, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, this beautiful sermon from Jesus he talks very personally to us as individuals about sin and what life looks like as kingdom citizens. And he does it in a way that's challenging. But I think what Jesus is saying is that you can't go live this kingdom dream corporately if you're not living it personally. You can't go live this kingdom dream corporately if you're not living it personally. So go with me here. Okay, we're going to read a few things that Jesus says, and my guess is that you're going to hear it how we normally read the Bible and what Jesus says through the tone of a Pharisee. Okay, so he says, you have heard it said to the people long ago that you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Or you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And this whole section, this whole idea can kind of be summed up in the intro to that, which is Matthew 5.20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so you just heard that and you're like, whoa, preacher guy, this was supposed to be encouraging good news. I think the people were looking at Jesus like, hey, you were talking about this new kingdom, this new way of life, this new idea. That sounds worse. Because what it sounds like Jesus is saying through the tone of a Pharisee, it sounds like he's saying, hey, just when you thought you were a decent person, you're actually way worse than you thought. Because I know your thoughts. And deep down, this is messy. This is darker than what you're projecting outwardly. We hear that and we're like, wait, what? I thought Jesus was loving. I thought that he was freeing. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think we have to look deeper into this because it would completely contradict right after this when Jesus says, don't worry if he had just put more weight on your shoulders. Like, you're going to be more anxious and more worried when it comes to your life if he just told you, hey, you thought you were doing a decent job because you hadn't killed anybody. You've got anger in your heart. 
so you're subject to judgment, right? Or why would we be called sons and daughters of this kingdom if he's putting more chains on us? Jesus says we're no longer slaves to sin, meaning his role, what Jesus is in the business of, is taking chains off of us. So he must be doing that here. But I think generally we don't read what Jesus says through the tone of a savior. I think what Jesus is saying here is, hey, this idea of favor, this dream, whatever life is going to look like for you that you think you can earn, that's just not possible. Like we get to this point where like not just my actions but my thoughts, I can't do it. There's no way I can get myself into this kingdom. And he says, exactly, you need grace. You can't earn it. I give it to you. See, when we look at like the tagline of this series, dream big, live better, what we generally think of in religion, because it's what religion says, but it's not what Jesus says, is, hey, you want to live a dream? You want to dream? You better live better. You better live better if you want to be a part of this dream. And here's what Jesus says. No, no. You don't live better to earn the dream. You are given the dream, and it propels you to live better. Okay? So through the tone of a savior, you hear Jesus say that. And what he's saying is, hey, you know how like you're trying really hard and outwardly you're trying to live a good enough life. You're trying to earn your way into the kingdom. What if you were free of that pressure? And you know how like people think you've got it all together, but deep down there's something really, really dark here. You know how there's something really, really, really tough going on in your heart? I want to deal with that. I'm not in the game of behavior modification. I'm not trying to get you to behave your way into a kingdom. I'm here to set your heart free. I'm here to make your soul whole. And so I'm willing to dive deep into that stuff with you too. Because I don't, I'm not telling you that you've got anger in your heart and that makes you subject to judgment to tell you that you're bad. I'm telling you, let's get that out of here. Let's get joy. Let's get peace. Let's get hope. Let's get love in your heart and in who you are. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I've got something better than this behavior game that you're playing, than this low ceiling life that you're living. I've got freedom. Living a dream that has no ceiling. Jesus wants you whole. He wants you full of love, full of joy, full of peace. So you hear that and you're like, okay. Kind of just walked through this crazy thing and I've always thought Jesus was mad at me, but maybe he actually loves me enough that he wants to deal with everything. He really wants me to lay my head down at night and my sober thoughts and be at peace. He's willing to go into the darkness and the mess with me. That's the tone of a savior and you hear that and you're like, okay, but where do I start, man? Like that's, that's a big thing to say, okay, I'm gonna start walking in this kingdom dream. Here's the cool thing. It sounds grand and Jesus tells us that it starts small. Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And I read different commentators' ideas about what Jesus is saying here, and I loved this quote that I found. It says, a grain of mustard seed is small, but it is seed and has in it disposition to grow. Grace will be getting ground, shining more and more. Gracious habits confirmed, actions quickened, and knowledge more clear. Faith more confirmed, love more inflamed. Here is the seed growing. Growing grace will be strong grace and will bring much to pass. That's what I want my life to look like. That's, that sounds like a lot of freedom to me. Faith confirmed, love more inflamed. Here is the seed growing. Growing grace will be strong 
grace. I want to be people that are strong in grace, that this mustard seed grows and grows and grows. Right after that, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. I'm not going to Martha Stewart you and explain bread and how it works. I've never baked bread before, shockingly, but a little bit of leaven transforms the entire way that the batch of bread comes out, just a tiny bit. So what Jesus is saying is this little seed, this little amount of leaven, this will grow and transform in you. It's like in our modern vernacular, like it's going viral. You let this little thing start stirring up and it's going to just grow. It's going to transform. It's going to happen on a level that you could never have asked or imagined. That's what happens. Jesus sees us and he says the kingdom needs to be planted in you. You can't go live it corporately if you're not living it personally. So let me plant the kingdom in you. Let me plant a kingdom dream in your heart, in your mind. That's what Jesus has for us. And so what does that look like for you in your daily life? Where we don't have mustard seeds and leaven readily available. What does that look like for you? For you, maybe it was showing up here today or coming back next week to hear about this kingdom. And what it looks like to be people of this kingdom. Letting a little bit be planted in you. Maybe it's that you grew up and your whole life you thought, man, Jesus is angry at me because you read him as a Pharisee. Maybe you go read the Gospels for the first time with Jesus as your Savior. And you hear the tone that he has for you as a loving Savior that wants to set you free on every single level and blow the ceiling off of your life. Maybe that's what you do this week. You can do the prayer every single day with us as a community. Maybe not to be self-serving for our church. Maybe you serve here. I've never seen a group of people who are more plugged in and full of life and a kingdom dream than the people who get here on noon on a Sunday and make this all happen because it's plugging into a kingdom dream and doing it together. And there's a principle to dreaming together, right? Like Jesus gives this dream to a group of people and then they go take it to the world and we are supposed to do this together. Maybe you join a life group. Maybe that's terrifying to you, but maybe you sit with some people and start hearing about the kingdom, start telling other people about the kingdom. You know, some of you might think, I'm kind of living the dream. My life's great. And that's awesome. I don't know exactly where to go from here. Like I've achieved dreams and I'm living a great life and I'm good with God. Or maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum and you're like, I don't even know where to start. I don't have dreams. Well, maybe this might sound a little different. Maybe instead of filling out a dream journal and trying to come up with something, go help somebody else make their kingdom dream happen. Go walk alongside somebody else and say, hey, what do you dream of for your life? What do you think God could do through your life? I'm with you. Let's go make this happen together. I think the big challenge for all of us in worship today and this week as we go through praying together, all these things is asking God, where, how low is the ceiling on my life? Like when I walked into adulthood or when that thing happened to me and I started to look at life and myself like this, how low did I let that ceiling get? Do I have any room under this for all that we could ask or imagine immeasurably more? Do I even have room? Start to see that ceiling get lifted a little bit higher and higher and higher. See, I think Jesus is looking at these people and he's describing this kingdom and he's like, oh, if only you could know how how beautiful, how valuable this life is, what this kingdom dream could do in your life. He compares it to a pearl. It's like a pearl that somebody saw and they sold everything to get, get the pearl because pearls were one of the most coveted items at the time for their beauty. He he compares it to a field that a guy finds a treasure in and he sells everything so that he can have the treasure that's in the field. Right? And we hear that, 
We're like, oh, okay, okay. So let me get this straight. Like, this is what happens in church. I tell you, the pastor tells you, this is a free gift. This is grace. This is the kingdom dream. Jesus gives it to you. You can't earn it yourself. It's from him. And then I give you a list of things to do. And you're like, wait, what? Okay, so do I do, I do something to get the dream or is the dream given to me? And here's what I think if we read a little deeper that Jesus is saying. He's saying, you want to know how valuable this kingdom dream is to me? I'm the one that's going to give everything for it. I'm the one that's going to sell everything. I'm going to sell out. I will give everything so that this kingdom dream is possible for you. Because you can't live better. You can't earn this kingdom dream. It only happens if I go get it for you. And Jesus does that, right? He sells everything. He gets the pearl. He gets the field. And he gives it to us. Okay, so it's not you going back to work to try to get the dream. Jesus did that. He's telling you, now you start walking with me. It's like in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, have you ever seen that movie? Where they're doing the surf lesson, and he's like, okay, okay, do less, do less, do less. The guy's like trying to pretend surf on the beach, and he's like, okay, well, you got to do something, because the guy just stops. He just stops moving, because he keeps telling him to do less, and he tells him to do more. That's how grace sounds a lot of the time to us. That's how this kingdom dream sounds to us. It's like, do I do something? Do I not do something? The invitation is that Jesus gives you this dream, and you start then living from the dream. You don't live to earn the dream. You don't live for the dream. You live from the dream, okay? You have to remember that. I'm emphasizing that over and over and over. You don't live better to earn the dream. You are given the dream, and it propels you to live better. It changes how you approach your life every single day if you see the fact that God has given you this dream to go live. So I'll close with this. Ben, you guys make your way back up here. Jesus, he talks about the kingdom a lot, and he describes it like this in Matthew 18. He says, truly I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in Matthew 19, when the disciples and everybody's trying to keep the kids away from Jesus because they're a nuisance, Jesus says, bring them to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Making a beautiful statement about humility and a beautiful challenge to us of what it looks like to live in this kingdom dream. Because I don't think what Jesus is saying is, hey, you're going to get to heaven and there's going to be a bouncer that's going to look at your idea and be like, "Mm, too old. You live too long. This is 18 and under, actually. Sorry. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, right? When he says that it belongs to children, that if we don't change and become like children, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I think what Jesus is saying, he's looking at his disciples and going, your dream ceiling is too low. You dream too small. You think too small of what I could do in your life. Like, I've been thinking this week, if I, a lot of times in my life, had asked a kid, like, had a kid ask me, what do you dream for your life? If the kid asks me that and I gave my answer a lot of places in my life, the kid would be like, oh, kind of depressing. You know the whole world's ahead of you, man. You know there's a God who loves you, who created you, who, who died for you and rose again to give you new life and just gives you citizenship in this kingdom. Jesus is looking at his disciple and he's like, you want to rule this world, like be a kingdom in the midst of all these wars? No, 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 no. Your, your ceiling is too low. We're going to be a kingdom that doesn't kick people out. We're going to bring them in. We're going to be a kingdom that loves people, so they want to become a part of our kingdom because the doors are open. This is an invitation to be a part of this kingdom dream. He's saying, lift the ceiling off of your life. Let this kingdom be planted in you. Let a little bit of leaven start growing. Growing grace, love more inflamed. Let it start to transform you in your life. You're dreaming too small. I think what Jesus is telling us is that it's time to start playing the children's game again. Would you stand to your feet with me? I'm gonna close this and pray. Um, 
the prayer that Ephesians 3.20 comes from, as Paul writes to this church, would you put your hands out in front of you, um, just like this, just in a posture of receiving. It's not some weird cult thing. Nothing's going to happen to you. It's telling God, like, these words that were penned for the church with the belief that there is more than we ask or imagine from this great God, like, I want that. Give me that, God. So receive these words as I pray them for you. For this reason, I bow to my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Red Rocks Church, let's worship.